a teenager, I grew up in Rolling Stone, and it took me about 45 years to get to Golden Bay. Because I didn't go quite the straight way. I sort of went Rolling Stone, Melbourne, Singapore, Melbourne, Groot Island, Darwin, Auckland, Hamilton, uh, Rolling Stone, Pinjarra, Mandra, Wajan, Mandra, Golden Bay. And it's a long way to walk. Which would be the preferred way of doing it, would you think? If you're in a hurry, Denise's way would be great, my daughter's. If you're not in a hurry, well, it doesn't matter. It all depends on the purpose of your journey. If you're actually going to do a survey of the road, you're going to go very slow. If you've actually got to get up and see the great-grandparents, then you probably go a bit quicker just to make sure you get there in time. Well, they're old. They're really old. They make John here look like a young fella. <laughs> see? I told you. Now, Paul, coming back to where we were going to actually talk about, he's in Antioch. And he's one of the leaders of that church. And Paul, one deacon's meeting or apostle's meeting or elder's meeting or some sort of meeting, with his good friend says, look, we actually should go back and see those people to see how they're getting on. And of course, Barnabas, his senior partner, has a big say in what's going to happen. So they agree it would be great to go back and visit these people to build them up. A number of organisations have as their slogan, their mission statement, to know Christ and to make him known. Others, to love God and to help others love God. The idea being it's a two-fold thing. Convert and disciple. Another possible. And so they'd done the conversion bit. That was his first trip. Knowing Paul, he may well have written more letters than the ones we've got. Barnabas certainly would have. Luke probably did. And so they've been encouraged by letters. And they thought, no, we've got to go and encourage these people. We really need to go back there and say, how are you doing? Has the elder we appointed, has he been really good? How are you doing? So this was good. This was the care and maintenance part of discipling people. And for Barnabas, it's a no-brainer. Remember in chapter 4, he's called the son of encouragement. I mean, what do you mean? Shall we? Of course we will. We'll go back there and we'll build these brothers and sisters up. We'll encourage them. We'll get them to send out missionaries. Well, that's a sneaky trick. And you've got to remember that, that Barnabas is the guy who discipled Saul, who became Paul. So he says, what a wonderful idea. I'll tell you what, we'll take on my cousin Mark. Uh, that didn't go down well. And they had such a sharp disagreement. Uh, we're not told they beat each other up. But, but there's no way Paul was going to have this no hope of Mark with him. And none of the other elders could mediate. Antioch had a bunch of elders. You've got these two blokes 
both pillars of the church. I'm doing this, I'm doing that. So, the end result was they did two separate missionary trips. Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus and possibly the south coast where they'd also crossed over to Asia Minor. We hear nothing else about it. It vanishes. Doesn't mean it didn't happen. Doesn't mean it wasn't fruitful. We're just not told about it. Paul says, well, if you're going that way, I'm going this way. Don't want to step on your toes. And you may recall in one of his letters, he says, I did not go where other people had planted. He was making sure he didn't cause further division. So you go west, I'll go east. And we hear nothing further about Barney and Silas and Mark, except in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul notes him as a worker pastor of some repute. So Paul didn't actually lose touch with Barnabas. And interestingly, in 2 Timothy 4, Paul refers to Mark as a good worker who is a help to me. So obviously Mark grew somewhat in his missionary trip to Barnabas, which as Barnabas as his boss is not that surprising. So in a sense this is the first detour in Paul's missionary trip. Hence the title on your bulletin, No Detours. Well, this was one. He was going to go to Cyprus and then the southern coast of Asia Minor. Instead, he heads up the coast of mainland through to Antioch and a few other places. From Antioch to a few other places. Back through the Galician, Cilician Gates and into Lystra. Remember we heard about Lystra last week, two weeks ago. And in Lystra he meets Timothy. Timothy's interesting, isn't he? And this is the second sort of detour I want to look at. Timothy, we are told in the letter to Timothy, is the son of Eunice and the grandson of Lois. That's not actually in our reading. You've got to look elsewhere. Eunice, his mother, is a Jew who's married to a Greek. This could be a problem. Jews didn't marry Gentiles. Ever since the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, there's been absolute ban on it. And so if you married a Gentile, you were an outcast. You were not acceptable. But it's interesting, we're told in this passage that she loved God. Lois, the grandmother, is also a God-believer. So much so that Paul praises both Eunice and Lois in 1 Timothy. Sorry, in 2 Timothy. Think for a moment. You are Lois. You are a Jewish lady. 
presumably married to a Jewish man and you have a daughter and one day your daughter comes home and says, forget the Jewish bit man, I found me a good Greek. What do you do as mum? <laughs> pull out Ezra, pull out Nehemiah, look this is not what you got. What made someone who is now a God-fearer break all the rules of her religious upbringing? And what pain did it cause her mother? Imagine the grace that was needed on Lois's part to still extend her love to her daughter and her Greek son-in-law. It is not allowed in law. But here is this woman who not only does this, but we know that when Paul writes to Timothy, he says they were both faithful women. So what happened between this delinquent daughter who marries a Greek to the stage where Paul turns up on his missionary journey and can commend them both and recruit the young boy, he's probably about 17, into the missionary team. What grace was needed in Lois? And what heartache she had to overcome? I don't think it's fanciful. The Jewish nation at this stage was very much an isolated, enclosed, non-collaborating, wrong word, organisation. We just sung a modern version of Amazing Grace. On the back of the newsletter is a quote from the writer. Everyone knows John Newton was a slave trader. Before he was a slave trader, what did he do? Have a think while I have a drink. Okay, I want, I want an answer. What was John Newton before he was a slave trader? You're hopeless! <laughs> he was a sailor. He was also a slave. He spent three years enslaved in West Africa. He almost died. When he was liberated or escaped, I can't remember which, I didn't look up my biography, um, he went back to sailing and ended up being a slave trader. Then he became a Christian. And he wrote, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I'd like to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I am not what I was. And by the grace of God, I am what I currently am. That would be a testimony, I think, for Eunice. Did a detour off and married a Greek. 
came back to the presence of God and raised a godly son. She could reflect on what life was like when she didn't have God. I take from this that as a parent we don't despair when our child is not perfect when they don't properly follow our directions when they don't walk after Christ as we would like them to when the life they're living is not the one you pray for them to have probably every day of your life but we keep praying we keep trusting, we keep loving, we keep on and on and on. And I'm sure Lois did that for Eunice. And I know they both did it for Timothy. You keep trusting, not your child, but your Lord. Because kids sometimes don't do what you want them to. And perhaps you're not like Lois, the godly grandmother, Maybe you might be a bit like Eunice, somewhat less than perfect, like most of us are. But you have repented. You have again turned to faith in Jesus. And then you hand over your child to him again. I've mucked up. Help me solve the problem I've created. Or better still, God, solve it for me. You hand back your child to God as I'm sure Eunice did. And by his grace, Timothy changes. And we keep praying that by his grace, our kids change. That's the second detour. Anyhow, back to Paul. Then we're going to be talking about Paul. He's now got two helpers, Silas and Timothy. They head north out of city and Antioch to go to Bithynia, which is sort of the part of Turkey by the sea. But they're stopped. It's interesting having you lot here today. Uh, back in the 80s, I went to a number of conferences. Required reading at the first conference I went to by this organisation I was associated with was two books. One of which was, Is That Really You, Lord? And the other one was Dialogue with God. What happens when you think God's telling you to do something? Well, it's easy, you go and do it. What happens when you think God is telling you to do something but you're not sure? That's when it gets tricky. What if you want to do something that God says, well, not yet? No, nah, it's the right time, Lord. Just back me up on this. doesn't work. We get here, we draw up our plan. God changes it so we revise our plan we head off again. It does not work that way. All you end up doing is walking down dead ends. In our history in 1991, our training with Wycliffe had finished and we were given our first assignment to start as soon as possible. Well, actually, as soon as our support reached 100%. We actually got to 78% before we started doing any real deputation, which was really outstanding. And we thought, we're on our way. We were stopped dead in our tracks by a family illness. We were, frankly, stunned. 
I was shaken to my core. Hadn't we left Darwin, left our church, left the business, trained with Wycliffe? What are you doing, God? This is totally unfair. I wonder if John Mark felt like that. Couldn't you stop us two years earlier before we totally rearranged our life? Joy, I think, understood a bit more about spiritual journeys than I did. I thought we were there to become missionaries, evangelise the world. But in fact, the journey we were being sent on and the, the trip and the move and all was part of God's will. was to prepare us so that we could prepare to live in his presence the right way. Sort of like Timothy. And that when we had done our training, that training wasn't wasted. It just wasn't used the way we thought God should have used it. And she bought me that plaque. A little later, but it was to remind me that we are on a journey to grace. And grace as well as an attribute is a destination. It's when we sit or stand before God and we adore him. When he so prepared us that we are fit to stand in front of him without fear, without shame and with love. All our activities here undoubtedly like what Timothy got from his grandmother and his mother is designed by him to achieve this. Ephesians 2.10 tells us we are God's workmanship prepared before time to do the good works he's prepared for us. Not to find something to do and say, hey, give me a rubber stamp. But to do what he has prepared for us. And that means we've got to know what it is. We've got to find out. Irrelevant aside illustration. Who watched Karate Kid? Very old movie. Am I the only one? (laughs) There's that wonderful scene where the kid wants to be a karate expert and the Japanese bloke says, yeah, I'll teach you how to do that. Paint my fence. Long down, slower. Long down, slower. And the kid goes, hey, I came to learn karate not to be cheap labour. Yeah, you've got it right. She's seen the movie. (laughs) The karate master wanted to prepare the kid to understand what he was going to do before he learned how to beat people up. He wanted him to learn the discipline of being a disciple and in ways which were helpful later on. I'm sure God does the same thing for us. I'm sure he says to us, I've got something for you to do. Oh, what is it, Lord? Oh, good. This is where I get to go to Moscow and convert everyone. (laughs) Um, I want you to hand out some booklets. In Moscow? No, Golden Bay. Uh. Can't you find something more spectacular for me to do, Lord? He wants us to understand him better every day and like the kid painting the fence we've got certain things we do 
We read his word. We pray. We fellowship. We spend time with brothers and sisters because he uses them to rub off the corners. Sometimes our corners are not obvious to us. He says, do this for me. That's all I want you to do at the moment. Do this thing for me. What did Eunice do? What was her great task in life? Bring up Timothy. So Timothy could be an apostle, really. He took the word places. Jesus told the stories of the servants given talents to to invest and spend and whatever. And message is, when you use your talent properly, I give you more. When you don't do as you're told, I take it away. We come back to Paul again. He's at Antioch and he's heading through Messiah and he's going to end up in Troas. Now the reason he did that was quite simple. To go south was to encroach on Barnabas' territory. The Spirit told him he couldn't go north. He'd come from the east. Hmm. We might go west. He ends up at Troas. Do you know the other name for Troas? Troy. Yeah. Very famous city, Troy. But they rebuilt it a couple of, I think about eight times altogether. And by now it's called Troas. The Greeks had destroyed it some hundred years earlier, hundreds of years earlier. Greeks and Troy, not a good mix. But it's in Troas that Paul has a dream. A man of Macedonia, which is part of Greece, saying, come over and help us. Now, we read this and we interpret what it means. But you've got to wonder, did Macedonia really need tent makers? Come and help us. Tent maker and Timothy's a young bloke and you know what Silas did? I can't remember. Come and help us. All the commentators say it means come and tell us the good news we need to hear because we are dead spiritually. Come and tell us the good news. Help us understand who God is. Help us understand what Jesus has done. Back to my plaque. Joy actually bought that for me about nine months after we resigned from Wycliffe. I complained a bit. No, I didn't. I complained a lot to God. And I thought, hmm, you've told us to do things that haven't happened. Hmm, not happy with you at the moment. Ever been unhappy with God? Ever wanted to say to him, you've dropped me in it? Of course you don't, you're good people. But I bet you think it, and he knows anyhow. We were stuck in New Zealand. Ten years sentence, no time off for good behaviour. Only went to Palmy North once. (laughs) But I got a job in Hamilton. The job was associate with view. That means you go and work there for a while, 
and if they like you and if you like them, you buy into the business. It takes about one to three years to get to that stage. And so nine months into the job, I went and met the owner GP and I said, hey, this is going well. Let's see what we can organise. And he said he'd think about it. A week later, I got given my notice. I wasn't expecting it. I hadn't done anything nasty or wrong. But it turned out that I was actually just a seat warmer for his previous partner, who was coming back in three months' time. I wasn't happy with him. But I tell you, I was even more unhappy with God. Hold on a minute, look. I don't know what is going on. How have I offended you, God? Do I actually want to talk to you again, ever? And that plaque turned up. And Joy said consoling and comforting words to me while I was trying to figure out how we're going to pay the mortgage, run the car, were we going to have to move again, will we have to sell the house again. <laughs> there are no detours on the road to grace. Like our apostle friend, I was learning, although somewhat slower than he was, that God actually understands what he's doing. A week later, a man I'd never met who ran a clinic I'd never been to offered me a job that had never been advertised. And being who I was, I said, oh, I'll come and talk to you. His name's Andrew. I went in to see Andrew. I said, look, I, I can only come in on Friday afternoon because that's the only time I've got off work. He said, that's not a problem. I'll see you. I went in there and sat down with him. And he says, um, we talked about the job and whatever. And he told me how much he was willing to pay me. I was sitting down, which was good. And uh, I said, okay, I'll think about it over the weekend. I went home to Joy and said, I've got a job. <laughs> He's going to pay me this much. I went back on Tuesday and said, yes, thank you. And signed the contract and started work four weeks later. I was out of work for a week. When did God know that Andrew was going to offer me a job? Not about eternity ago. When did I find out? When I was desperate and not wanting to talk to God because I didn't trust him at the moment. Currently I'm reading Job. Job is a great book to read. Two chapters of action, 30 chapters of argument. And most of the argument is really, really convoluted and you think oh. you know, first you think Job's a twit then you know his three mates are then the fourth one comes along and you're thinking what's God up to? You actually know the story, they don't and I was the same bit of action a lot of words what's going on here? Like Job in places, that's not clever. Job never cursed God. But he did say, I don't want to be born, I wish I was still born. 
I wish I was dead, take away my life. Not an encouraging sort of book until you get to the end when God says, look at me, don't look at you. So we're back to Paul again. He's sitting there in Troas having this vision. You've got to remember Paul, three years earlier, had been chased out of one town, Iconium, stoned at Lystra, left for dead. He could only move in one direction because all the others were blocked to him and he accepts this invitation to travel to Europe. As far as we know, this is the first time somebody in Europe heard about Jesus when he gets to Philippi. Philippi is a really interesting town. If you want to move around the Mediterranean, you can do it by boat or you can do it by road. Unfortunately, the Romans have made some really good roads. And so you could do the trip he had done, which got him as far as Troas, short boat hop, to Philippi. Now when you got to Philippi you had a choice. There was a Roman road that went straight west across the peninsula to the Adriatic where you could catch another boat and you were in the centre of the world, Italy. Philippi is a really important town. And how did Paul get there? By being blocked going to three or four other places. He didn't think in terms of this is the best place to go to plant the gospel. He heard God say, go here, and went there. And often we think we can actually help God work out his plan. You know, it would be really good if I did this because that's really where I see the action is. And God says, yeah, it's interesting, go there. I really think I should... No, no, go there. But Lord, go there. If you're slow like me, you get about ten goes. So, so Paul gets to go to Europe. Have you ever thought what a blessing that has been to us? We're Europeans, most of us. What if he'd gone to Bithynia and then moved along the coast around into Russia or across to China? But he didn't. He went to Europe. And there is that wonderful, wonderful story of the Philippian jailer. Have another read of that. And while you're doing that, think about Paul. Well, Lord, I've got to Philippi. I've now been flogged and locked up. Great guidance, God. You see, God doesn't work our way. God works his way. So, some conclusions or lessons or whatever. Disagreements among Christians occur fact of life but we need to keep our eyes on the Lord Barnabas and Paul had a disagreement 
both of them kept their eyes on the Lord. Mistakes by parents are not invariable disasters. Ask Eunice. But we do need to repent and turn our eyes back to the Lord as parents. Encouragement is always needed for ourselves and for others. Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The mission trip number two was based on encouraging other Christians. It also had the advantage of evangelising a few more. The calling on our lives as his disciples is the same as the calling on theirs. Going to the world, whether it's number 29 next door or Moscow, and teach them about me. We need to plan things. Do not hear me say, don't plan. There's a saying, perfect planning precludes poor performance, which sometimes gets a few adjectives put in. Um, The five P's. We need to take responsibility, but we also need to listen. And if God says, your plans aren't right, you modify them, you scrap them, you rewrite them, you listen to him and his people. The Holy Spirit has this habit of meeting with us when we plan to do his work. Ephesians 2.10 There are no detours on the road to grace. It is solely by the grace we walk in through this foreign earth. Remember, we're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. And we're walking through this life. Travellers bound for his kingdom, where we belong. And our track through this kingdom, which we will leave, is not always a dead straight line. It is our exposure to his amazing grace that we see illustrated in Paul's life and should be present in each of us because it's his amazing grace that makes us move. Shall we pray? Lord, you call us to walk with you, neither in front of you nor behind you. You at times carry us, always moving in your direction. So this morning, open our ears, open our eyes, open our hearts just that little bit further so we can hear your spirit as he talks, walks and carries us towards your kingdom. And by your grace, we will get there. And with your help, we may even bring others. Thank you.